I got Al. Al is going to do it. I said, Al who? Al Pacino. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Hey, folks. Brian Lally here, Hollywood native, and you're about to watch the show, Brian Lally, Hollywood native. I'm sitting here today, as usual, with my partner in crime, Scott Williams. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How that's are you? Fa- that's fan- I'm fantastic, better than ever. Excellent. So who do we have on the show today? Today, Brian, we have a great guest, John Medici. <laughs> <laughs> we do have John Medici. And Scott said Medici because that's what I used to call him. But his name is John Medici, and John is a great guest. Born in East Harlem, John did study acting with the legendary teacher, Lee Strasberg, at his legendary facility, the Actors Studio in New York City, the home of many greats. And John actually, at a young age, was in a play that Lee tore apart in rehearsal, and he didn't think it was going to get to do it, but the director contacted him and said, Al's going to do it with you. And he said, Al who? He said, Al Pacino. Anyway... So that started a lifelong association with Al Pacino. He's got many good stories, became a career educator, teaching, acting on the college level, and continued to act. He's going to talk about his association with Luther Adler, Stella Adler's brother and Jacob Adler's son, a royal family of theater in New York City, and part of the founding members of the group theater, which is why we act the way we do today. So hear those stories and more. John Medici, coming at you. Where were you born? Hi, I'm John Medici. That's it. You John. didn't even introduce me. For That's God's okay sakes. because we're we're <laughs> acting like we're just talking. We're, oh, we're, we're acting like we're natural. Not anymore. <laughs> That's all gone out the I window. I was born in New York City, of course, but in a particular neighborhood, which I'm now in my older years very proud of. Uh, I I was born in East Harlem, which is on the 114th Street and First Avenue, East Harlem. To anybody who was raised in New York City is well known to people. Everybody knows what Harlem is, which is the west side, but we were on the east side, East Harlem, and it was a very big, when I was a kid, a very big Italian community, very, very big Italian community. And, um, you know, I was a kid, I went to the, uh, the parochial school around the corner, came home for lunch, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. and. After the eighth grade, I graduated and uh, I went to a Catholic high school, Cardinal Hayes in the Bronx. I'm a real New York guy. Is Cardinal Hayes famous for some reason? Well, it was recently in a movie. Right. Uh, an Adam Sandler movie, the basketball movie, about when oh, he's an agent. Yeah, yeah. And they had the tryouts or something or the okay. exhibition game up at Cardinal Hayes High School. I've... And they even gave the correct address, 650 Grand Concourse. It was right across from Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, I have to tell you about Cardinal Hayes High School. It was a very big boys' Catholic high school. A lot of students. They had very strict rules because, I'll tell you why. Father Jablonski, who was the dean of discipline, he told us, he said, now, we're in a Jewish neighborhood, so when you go out onto the street there, our Jewish neighbors are going to be watching, and I want you to be gentlemen. So no smoking within five streets, right and left of this, do not smoke. Now, I got suspended for one week for smoking on the concourse. You couldn't do it. (laughs) And um, we had to be 
very aware of our neighbors. Right. And had to keep our appearances just perfect, you know. I got detention at Notre Dame High School for smoking while I was hitchhiking on the Woodman Avenue on-ramp. Oh. I was hitchhiking with another buddy, and one of the teachers came by and saw us smoking. <laughs> we were a block away. We were too close to the school. Exactly. So, so. we have that in common. Yes, we I do. I was actually suspended for a week. I was also suspended another time by, uh, let's see, I think his name was Father... It could have been McGuire or McConnelly or something like that. Mick An something. Irish priest. Mick something. And it was the day after St. Patrick's Day, and I'm a wise guy. Was, was he hung over at the time? He was. I came in to the homeroom class, and there was Father, you know, with his head on the desk. I said, hey, Father, you hung over, right, from yesterday's parade? <laughs> Get out! Get out! He just yelled at me. Go to Jablon, Father Jablon, so you're suspended. Oh, wow. So that was it. I had to walk out of the school. Yeah. Of course, it was the middle of the week, and a day went by, and then the next day, he telephoned my house. Right. And he said, it's okay. You can come back. And I went back, and I apologized. So I was only gone for a day. Yeah. A day and a half. A lot of the mix pretend they're not drunks. <laughs> I never had that problem. Yeah. Well, I, I marched in that parade. The Cardinal Hayes would march every right. year. Okay. I also, we used to have a Columbus Day parade. Right. And I also marched in that. Was it in high school? When did you get interested in performing? Well, I was always a cut up, you know, in the class and right. all that. But in high school, no, I got very serious in my senior year. And um, I decided I really wanted to become a priest. So right from high school in the summer of 1955, I entered a monastery, a Franciscan monastery, and I was there for two-plus years. Wow. Yeah, I was a Franciscan monk. I took my vows after a year, and then we went up to Lowell, Massachusetts. But the first year was spent at um, Immaculate Conception Monastery up in Troy, New York. Wow. I write about it in my book. It was quite an experience. There was a lot of humor there. But I will tell you one thing. People think that when you go to a, lock yourself in a monastery, right, and you'll be safe from the world. Right. I have to, I have to tell you. <laughs> they have a saying, and it actually was told to us, you know, by some of the other priests and brothers who were working there. Right. The devils sit on monastery walls just waiting to leap in, you know. So uh, you're not saved from the world at all, as long as there are other people around. Right. You wow. Are, you are part of the world. So there was a lot of other deviants in there waiting to <laughs> deviate? Well, first, a lot of guys just quit right off the bat. Right. Now, my best friend went with me. His name uh, was Marco Vassi, V-A-S-S-I. Now, he's a very important character in my life. You can look him up, actually, on Google. Just, just Google Marco Vasi, V-A-S-S-I. He was a writer. You get that, Scott? Oh, he's on it. What am I even... Why do I question my man here? There you are. Oh. Yeah. So Marco became a very well-known writer of pornography. Oh. <laughs> I always remember that because his mother had all of his books, but she never read one. And she had them on a shelf, I remember. Yeah. He became adept <laughs> at writing. Mark. Ooh. Ah. Eh. Well, he came ah. with me to the monastery. See, oh. Marco... I loved him so much, I can't tell you. Uh, he wrote that play that Al Pacino and I were in. Right. At this time. Right. Right after the monastery, a few years later. 
the point is that he came with me because he was a comedian and it was a good idea. I think I'll become a monk. So he went. So we take our vows. Uh, no, we, we, the first year you don't take your vows, we get our habits. That's called investiture. Mm -hmm. Our families all came up. Marco's parents came up. My parents came up. Relatives and all of that. And they watch us take off our jackets and our shirts and don the habit. We took off our shoes inside. We didn't take off our pants. But normally, that's what we did. We wore just underwear and a t-shirt, bare feet, sandals, all year long. We lived just like Francis of Assisi 700 years before. That's how it all got started. That was me. Yeah. So Mark was there with me, and the first week passes, and it was okay. And I got one of the assignments was to work on the farm with this priest because it was summertime, it was August, late August, and the tomatoes were coming in and we had to tie up the plants and all of that. So Marco and I, about 10 days into it, are down there and we're tying up the tomato plants to the stakes and all of that. And I got my work clothes on and he's got his on. And suddenly he gets up, he rises. And he looks down at me and he says, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and he throws his tools down and he walks away. And he went home that very day. He <clears throat> insisted on going home that very day. He didn't even wait. There was a late night bus. He took a bus and he was back to East Harlem by the end of that day. And when he got home, his mother called back to the monastery. Okay. And she said to the uh, priest in charge, oh, my restless son. And I always thought that that was a very good moniker for Marco because he was a very restless man. He eventually, he did die at the age of, uh, I think he was about 51. Oh, it's too bad. Yeah, he died in 1989. And, um, child. Yeah, I have many letters of his written to me and I saved them. He, he was a philosopher. But he was always a kid from the neighborhood. He always had a great sense of humor. But he went on to become a very well-known writer. Right. And in 1966, he wrote this play. Well, right. I, was, I was in graduate school, and I was studying um, theater in graduate school at NYU. And it was actually radio and television production is what it was called because it was before NYU had a theater school. And all sure, that. sure, Tish and all that. Anyway, we wrote little plays, right. and, and you know, I directed little plays that he wrote and, and so on at NYU. And then he wrote this play. Mm -hmm. It was called Why is a Crooked Letter? And uh, it was 1966. Now, FYI, when I left the monastery, I did not enter the theater and become a theater actor or anything like that at all. I had a lot of other jobs, public relations. I worked at CBS radio. I was even a director at radio and all of that. And in 1966, January, or maybe it was even December of 65, I got fired from my last job, which was a public relations job. Uh, I was a writer for the Titanium Metals Corporation of America. I worked straight-laced as a writer, PR writer, for a Midwestern great 
metals firm, you know, like it belonged, I think, to Bethlehem Steel, Titanium Metals Corporation of America. And they made the mistake of sending me to Las Vegas. They sent me to Henderson, Nevada, outside of Vegas, mm -hmm. to the factory where they were making titanium. And my job was with the photographer to take pictures of how you produced it, and then I was going to write articles about it. And uh, the office was in Henderson, but I lived in Las Vegas at a hotel, one of the casino hotels. And I, I had a devil inside of me. You know, there's no doubt about it. I, well, I always did. You let me loose in Las Vegas at that time, and I'm a young guy, and I'm very interested in show business. I get to know a dancer, a guy who was a dancer, and he knew all the girls, and he knew all the dancing, and, and so we started going out at 11 o'clock at night after the shows. Right. I was up till 3 in the morning. I mean, it was wild in Las Vegas. Then I'd go into this straight-laced company at a factory right. you know, making titanium in Henderson, Nevada. And I was late every morning, every morning. <laughs> I walked in at 10 o'clock every day. The manager was going crazy. I said, but look, I get the work done. I stay late. And, oh know. my God, that's my mantra. Yeah, in my life. I get it done. So I want to play by your hours. Anyway, he fired me. Right. The, not he, but when I got back to New York. Right. And now it's 1966, and I was married, and my wife said, so now what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to become a stand-up comic. Right. What? A stand-up Really? You're going to be a stand-up? Yes, I'm going to become a stand-up comic. That's what I want to do. And, of course, you know, it's a peculiar thing to come home to your wife, you know, and you were once a monk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you were a TV director, radio director. <laughs> then you were a public relations guy for a Midwestern firm, and now you want to be a stand-up comic. Mm -hmm. And it's 1966. So uh, I, I, I did start, and um, I went around looking for agents and things like that, and I, I didn't have anything to offer, but I wrote some little routines, and they were funny, and I started to, to go into those clubs, you know, like the improv, and there was an improv then. Right. I knew the owner. Um, he later came to L.A. Was it Bud Friedman? Bud Friedman. I knew him very oh, well. Oh, okay. On 46th Street was his... 10th Avenue was right. his place. But I also did the Champagne Gallery downtown. I did the... There was other places in uh, Greenwich Village. So in the 60s in the East Village, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor and Lily Tomlin well, were really getting started. Yeah. I didn't know them particularly. Right. I did know about Richard Pryor. Right. And unless my memory is not correct, Richard Pryor was more straight-laced than I was with the suit. Yeah. Yes, At that time. and he had jokes and a routine, and he was a black comic. You know? Right. So I heard him once. I also heard Bob Dylan play down right. there once. The Bottom Line. He That's played, the uh, other place, yeah, yeah, The Bottom Line. Yeah. That was it. it called. They had folk singers. Yeah. And I used to go to all of these places, you know, and I'd do my little bit, you know. You know, when we drove up here, you said, let's, let's not talk in the car because... Well, yeah. Okay. I was a comic who did his best bits in the car going to the place. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm the fighter who left his fight in the dressing room, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I would be the most natural, funny, I thought. I was told 
Jesus, John, you're funny. Then I'd get on stage and I couldn't do it. Right. I couldn't do I couldn't be me. I even changed my name. I had a different name. What was it? I thought being a Medici was just, it was too Italian. Right. Know? And I envisioned, you know, Las Vegas and Medici. No, you can't, you can't do that. Even though the Italians own Las Vegas, you it couldn't? It doesn't matter. No, I know those guys too. I went to Miami once. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Cryptic. So I called myself Johnny Armin, A-R-M-E-N. And now people thought I was Armenian. Right. Now, I don't know which is worse, being Italian or being Armenian. <laughs> but in either event, I was ethnic. It could, you couldn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. So I was Johnny Armin. And uh, I was doing this stand-up. I had routines and things. And one time at Bud Freeman's place, uh, I saw Rodney Dangerfield. You know, he came up. There were a lot of wonderful comedians. You had Woody Allen doing stand-up. Uh, yes, I even went to Woody Allen's apartment once when he was playing the clarinet on Monday mm -hmm. nights and, and doing a stand-up with, with the radio station that I worked for. We interviewed him. So they were all my heroes. Mm -hmm. And uh, You must have I, just missed my father. My father did radio for years in New York, and he came out to California late 50s. And my dad ended up directing radio for Armed Forces Radio. I was a radio director. In fact, uh, the person that I worked for in New York was very well known, Ed Joyce. He went on to become the president of CBS News and later wrote a book about CBS. You know, it was like uh, a tell-all book about the behind-the-scenes stuff. I worked with him. I worked with a newscaster named Kenneth Banghart was very popular in New York, very popular. He Sounds like he'd be popular with a name like that. Banghart, yeah. But he was. He was very popular from four in the afternoon to six, to right. drive time. Anyway, the point is this. I get fired. I tell my wife I want to be a stand-up comic. And uh, I do a few of these gigs. I get some paying gigs. Just <clears throat> stupid things. Mm -hmm. I won't even go into it. Because right. the important thing is this. My wife at the time was actually a member of the actor's studio. Now, she was not a member in the sense that she had an audition. She was working with uh, Gypsy Rose Lee's sister. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, anyway, the actress, the very well-known actress. I wish I knew who that was. I'm so I sorry. Don't... She was doing a play called Marathon 33. It later became a very successful Broadway play, and it was a project right. at the actor's studio. So who was Gypsy Rose Lee's sister? Natalie, well, Natalie Wood was in the movie, right? In the movie, they, yeah, no. But this is the real Gypsy Rose Lee had a sister. You know, hi, everybody. I'm Baby. What the hell was her name? We're about to find out. Yes, I know. Anyway, she was doing this play called Marathon 33. So she was involved at the actor's studio. She was really studying acting, and I was very impressed, but I, I didn't think I was an actor, you know, I was a stand-up comic. Right. I had this persona. You yeah. Know, you know, uh, hey. Jack, Jackie Mason, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she said, you've got to study acting. Your wife? My wife. Oh, okay. You have to study acting. Very rare for a wife to say, <laughs> especially back then, hey, you have to study acting. She was very serious. <laughs> she read all the books. She read The Fervent Years before I did. She... She knew everything about the actor's studio. Her, one of her best friends was Richard Castellano, you know, who played uh, in, the, in The Godfather. Yeah. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Right. One right. more time. Hey, Clemenza. 
Lorenza, right. Yeah. Richard Castellano. I yeah, knew him yeah. when he was an acting student. He yeah. did scenes with my wife. So you got to study acting. So we went to this guy named Alec Rubin. And Alec had just got back from the Esalen Institute. So all we did when we went up to his studio on 72nd Street, it was a big loft, apartment loft. We'd lie on the floor and, ah, you know, and feel our bodies and all that. And he would give directions like, I want you to feel like Jesus Christ blowing in the wind. I, I don't know what the hell his directions were. And I'm lying on the floor there, you know. He was doing body work, you know, and yeah. sense memory. And I had no idea what the hell he's doing. I had no idea what the hell is this guy doing. So Marco Vassi writes a play right. called Why is a Crooked Letter? And he says, you're going to this acting school. L let me bring the play to... Um, to uh, Alec Rubin, the director. So he brings it to Alec, and Alec says, oh, this is great, it's wonderful, it's a great play, new playwright and everything. And he does a little scene from the play. He does it at the actor's studio, okay? With an actor, I don't know who it was, but it was with me and my wife and this actor, and Lee Strasberg, you know, lit into him terribly. I mean, he just really lit into but it was all about the director, you know, it was, wasn't about the play, not a word said. Okay, so we get back to the studio, and uh, the actor who was playing the main role, he quits, and we're just doing our exercises and everything, and then one day Alex says, oh, I got Al, Al is going to do it. I said, Al who? Al Pacino. Man, Brian, you know what I love doing? Yeah. I love tapping that subscribe button. Mmm. I love it too, son. And just like all your dates, I tap it last. But nothing's as good as tapping this button. You see Brian here? He's not always doing the best. Financially, mentally, physically, for sure. You want to help keep Brian off the streets of Hollywood? There's a way you can help. Join us on Patreon. You want to tell him what we got on there, buddy? Yes, we have the general admission, we have the backstage, and we have the VIP all-access pass. So please, join today. I'm due for a bath. In the arms of the angel, He's going to do the play, and I didn't know who the hell he was. Nobody knew who he was. And one night he shows up and we start rehearsing. Now I'm rehearsing with this young guy. And he was young, a little younger than I am. He was maybe two years younger. He was from the Bronx. I knew that. He had absolutely no money at all. When I say no money, I mean no money, okay? And I used to say to Shirley, stop buying this guy Chinese food, wouldn't you please? Every time we go out, we... Stop buying him beers, will you? I mean, let him take care of him. She was giving him cigarettes. She was giving him beers. <laughs> so I become friendly with Al, you know. We become friendly, and we start doing the play. And it's a play. And I'm playing his best friend in the play. And the play was, it was about a young man <laughs> named Johnny. And it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962. And he was a young man. It was, took place in 62, but we did this in 1966. And nobody knew who Al Pacino was. I want you to know that. 
They didn't know who I was. They didn't know who anybody was. Somehow or other, in his loft, we set up little chairs. We could seat about 35 people. It was in his living room. Really. Right. And we did this play, and I played his best friend. And we both got stoned. You know, we smoked grass and did the scene that way. But it was the Cuban Missile Crisis was in the play. Right. So there was any moment we were going to be atomic bombed. That was part of the play. But the other part of the play was that he needed to find himself. Right. We do the play, and it's very successful. Son of a gun. People are coming. People are coming Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And we'd collect all the money, and then we would divvy it up. And I, I remember that one night, we got $35 between me and, and uh, Shirley. So we got seventeen fifty each or something. And, of course, Al got his $18, $17. We went on like this. And toward the end run of the play, I had a gig as a comedian in upstate New York, so I had to leave. I, I had a gig as the master of ceremonies at a dude ranch in Peekskill, New York. Ah, my mom had a house there. <laughs> so I had to leave. He said, why are you leaving? I said, Al, he liked, he liked me. Right. Why are you leaving? I said, I got to do the gig. I'm up, I'm up there. I'm up at there. I, I do the emceeing bit and, you know, and I do shtick and stuff like that. And, um, see, I had been at Catskill Mountain this summer before. Oh, you did the Borscht Bill? Just the Catskill Mountains, just a hotel. One hotel. Oh, okay. And I was the tumula, you know, the, the, the guy who makes all the noise. I was the MC. I sat at the family table. That's how I learned all the Yiddish. And I watched every comedian who came up and all of that. Oh, wow. But I had done that the summer before. So now right. this summer, I get a little bit of a promotion. I'm going to be the MC all by myself up at a, oh, at a dude ranch up in Peekskill. So I had to go. And um, Al never forgot that. I'll tell you why. Not because I left the show. Because I, I was friends with him. And we used to run into each other a lot in the city and all of that. But when we did Serpico... Now, this is years later, 1970, my God, 72, 70, 74? No, 72? sorry, sorry, 73. Okay. Because the, the hearings were going on for Watergate during that summer. When we did it, I had the role to play his brother, and it was, it was good because we were friends and all of that. But then after filming for a while, he called me back. And I went into his uh, dressing wagon, you know, the honey wagon. We yeah. were on, on location. It was always on location mm -hmm. in that movie. And he said to me, I, I need something flavorful for the movie. I said, well, we got the family scene. Is that? He said, no, we're going to cut the family scene. It's not, it's not working. We had a big family scene. Now, I was supposed to play his older brother in the movie. See? And I'm dissatisfied with him because he never comes... Oh, Jesus. Why didn't you tell me that? It's, Turn it off. Because it don't matter, John. It might, be, it might be your next gig with Pacino. We want to see it live. <laughs> it's anyway, Al calling. Anyway. Why are you talking about me, John? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every time I ran into him, we, we'd have wonderful conversations. We remained friends. But anyway, he called me back, and he said, I know, I know you got that improvisational quality. Because, see, he knew that I was a comic. 
Right. He said, I want a scene with some warmth. I want us to do some. So we began to improvise, and within a few days, we improvised the scene that's now in the movie. And the original family scene was thrown out. And the scene is in the shoe shop. His father was a shoe repairman, and I was the son, and Al was the son of a shoe repairman. Right. That is, Frank Serpico was the son of a, an Italian man. Right. So we improvised the scene where Serpico, Frank Serpico, comes up to the old neighborhood, to the shoe shop, to pick up his shoes and to visit, you know. And we have that scene. I have to tell you something. That, that scene, and I wrote it with him. Right. And we improvised it. The whole thing is improvised. And that scene has been used in documentaries whenever they do about Serpico. They use that scene. They did a documentary, um, Robert, Robert Evans. Right. He was the producer. They did a documentary about his life, and they used a bit of that scene as representative of Serpico. It really is a lovely scene. People who see it just say, oh, my God, Pasquale, the shoe man, you know, because I was... That was my name. Right. Thing. And he comes, pick up his shoes, and uh, basically I'm, I'm asking him. He don't come around. You don't come around. That's yeah, right. You know yeah, it, Tony. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't come around. Uh, That's we why Tony's here. We you don't think he's for here for eye no, candy. He, I say to him, uh, Marianne was yeah, there, yeah. And, he, and, and Pacino says. Yeah, he ends it with, uh, and no Marianne. No, with both of us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he comes up to me, says, come here, come here, come here. I want to tell you something. Marianne's father is a cop, a yeah, brother's I'll... a cop. Sometimes I think Marianne is a cop. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't <laughs> want to see her. And we laugh and all of that. And he walks out. I say, hey, what about Sunday? You coming over? Yeah, but no Marianne. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's a beautiful scene. Well, we wrote it. And uh, that was nice. And I, you know, I was very friendly with, with, with Al. I went to... And getting to work with Lumet. That time, yeah. yeah. Sidney Lumet was the director. He worked, of course, in the Yiddish theater. He goes all the way back. He mm -hmm. was a young man. But I knew a lot about the Yiddish theater because I was friends with Luther Adler. Right. That's what brought this conversation right. between you and me together. Right. That's what brought you here. I mean, the Pacino stuff, too, but well, Luther heard, Adler. Yeah, well, you wanted to hear that. So that's how I met Al, and we remained friends. We're mm -hmm. still friends, you know. Did you know Charlie, too, Lawton? His coach, Pacino was good friends with Charlie and Oh, Charlie! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I never, Allen. no, I never met, I never met that, okay. and I never met his daughters either. Although a friend of mine here in Los Angeles had two children the same age as Al's children, and this friend would do dates. The children would do mm -hmm. play dates mm -hmm. with Al's children, and this friend was a very good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. He's a lawyer, and he adopted two girls, and they would go over there and play with Al's chin. So when, when this friend told me that he was going to Al's house, I said, well, give him my regards, tell him. Yeah. And he did. And, and Pacino remembered the name of the play. He remembered the scene that we did. He remembered the whole thing. You know? And I, last time I saw Al, when I left the note at the backstage and I went backstage, he said to whoever was listening, mm -hmm. This is the oldest guy who knows me from in show business, wow. which is pretty true, pretty true, because mm -hmm. I tell you, that day he showed up, I remember a little incident when we were rehearsing, okay, with Alec Rubin. <laughs> it was a Monday night, and we're lying on the floor doing all of these crazy rehearsals, 
And I turned to Al and I said, Jesus, it's Monday night, I'm going to miss the Academy Awards. And he said, that's all bullshit. You watch that stuff? So now I told Al that he said that <clears throat> after he won his award. <laughs> and he was doing that Eugene O'Neill thing. Um, uh, Huey? Uh, Huey, the one-person show, yeah. yeah. And I went to see him, and backstage I told him, I said, you finally won your reward. Yeah, he did. I said, you know, you said it was all bullshit. And he remembered, and he laughed, and we laughed together. But, you know, it was, uh, it was, I don't know, in those days, being an actor in New York, it was very personal. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was very personal. One time, around this time, I used to make rounds. You know what that is. Sure. Making rounds. Yeah. I mean... It's impossible today. Right, right. I had my attache case with mm -hmm. my pictures, my resumes. You're trying to get a gig, man. I wore a suit, <laughs> and I was going into the Brill building, for mm -hmm. example, and I'd knock on doors and agents, oh, you, don't, you, would, you would like me to leave a picture? Sure, and I'd throw the picture on the pile of 400 other pictures that were there, you know, and resumes. So I was doing that, and I was walking on 57th Street, and there's a Hornet Hard Art. Now, you really got to be old to know the automat. Right. I mean, I know what an automat is, but I don't know. You must have yeah. seen it in the movie. Well, no, I know what an automat. We, yeah, we you drop had a quarter here, in a yeah. little egg salad sandwich. Right. The door opens up. Yeah. I went in there, and Al used to hang out in places like that. This is shortly after the play, like a couple of years. He had, been, he had done off-Broadway stuff. He was pretty, getting to be pretty well-known. He had done The Indian Wants the Bronx around Yeah, there, right after, right? because that... Horowitz was his name. The right, writer. Yeah, yeah. He, he came up to Alec Rubin's studio and saw that play. He was really good in that play, Why is a Crooked mm -hmm. Letter. And I, I've seen all of the plays that he did, especially when he was in New York. Anyway, uh, Me too. <laughs> you did too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was in the Horn and Hard and I walk in with my attache case and my suit, and he says, what are you doing? What, you're dressed. What, what's going on? I said, oh, I'm making rounds. You're making what? I'm making rounds. You know, I go around, I mm -hmm. knock on the doors. I, and he said, I could never do that. I loved that he said that, you know. Because I was also in a Broadway show years later, and I was doing very well as an actor. And I got fired. I got fired a lot from a lot of places. <laughs> I'm proud of that. And uh, I'll tell you what Luther Adler said about my being fired. He said, only great talent gets fired. <laughs> so I ran into him one time in the park, uh, Al, and um, I told him about, about that. And he said, ah, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't, just F it, you know, just mm -hmm. don't worry about it. And I thought that was good that, you know, he felt that way. You'd see in his plays he'd have a lot of, People he'd worked with were constantly in the plays. In Penny the, Allen worked with him a lot. Um, oh, yeah. You mean in Sully the, Boya. In, in the theater? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, Jack, uh, what's his name? Jack, uh, the Irish guy. Yeah, yeah. It was in the... Uh, and also the guy who raped him in Scarecrow. I saw him. He was Lynch. In the, yeah, right. yeah, Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Richard yeah. Lynch. Right, right. First thing I, I saw him was the basic training of Pavel Hummel. Oh, yeah, that was downtown at the yeah. public theater? Yeah. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I saw Richard Lynch beat up a phone in the Casa Vega bathroom one night. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
there was, I was cocaine telling you about involved. When you were an actor in New York City in those days, now this is in the, 60s, the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. You walked the streets a lot. We really did. In fact, Actors' Equity had a fund, the shoe fund. Do you know about the shoe fund? No. Yeah. You'd go up to Actors' Equity office, and they'd give you $25 to buy a pair of shoes because we walked so much wow. making rounds. You remember that? Yeah, I know. I don't remember it, but I know of it. I did yeah. it here in Hollywood. Yeah. Now, did you ever go to Harold Clerman's office? I never went to his office, no, but I went to his memorial, which was held in a theater, and uh, that's where I sat next to um, Arthur Miller. And I oh. wanted so much to tell Arthur Miller about the letter that he had written to me. And uh, when it was over, we went out onto the sidewalk and um, we were going to go for lunch, or coffee or something, brunch, you know. It was the early morning. And I was with Arthur Miller, and I wanted so much to go for coffee with him, you know. But his wife said, no, no, we'll just go home. And he left. So I never had a chance to tell him. Did you about... work with him? No, I didn't work with him. That's the reason I wrote him. I auditioned for a play that he wrote mm -hmm. about Adam and Eve. I forgot the name of the play, okay. Honest and Truly. But I auditioned for it. And uh, when I showed up for the audition, prepared, because I had done the preliminary for the agent and all of that, and this was going to be a Broadway show, and mm -hmm. I showed up, they turned me away because, oh, no, we've changed the concept or something. So, and I didn't even get a chance to audition. And I was so angry. I didn't even get a chance yeah, to yeah. audition. And when they told me, I wrote them a letter. Right. <laughs> and he wrote you back? What balls. Yeah. I wrote him a letter in 1972, and son of a gun, about five months later, he wrote me back. Arthur Miller wrote back. Wow. What does it say? Let's read it. It's Arthur Miller, for Christ's sake. It's handwritten. Dear Mr. Medici, um, I have no secretary, so my mail must often wait. This is... November of 72. I am sorry if you were unfairly treated in your attempt to read for my play. Uh, correctly or not, I suppose the person you talked to in your interview thought you weren't right for a role. The problem is simple, that we have no theater, and he underlined that, we have no theater but only shows. So it comes down to hit or miss success to read certain actors and not others. Quite a limited amount of time available. This is no consolation, but merely the fact. I hope to find some more just method of seeing people the next time. Sincerely yours, Arthur Miller. That's really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. That's I, amazing. I've had such respect for that man. Well, I love his writing. Yeah, yeah. And in acting classes, I've done a lot of his scenes from his plays. And, but I was very proud of that because I got it just around the same, a little before I got the letter from Luther Adler. I bet that's worth some money. And, oh, yeah. Well, maybe they are. You know, and then later I started thinking, you know, why, don't, why didn't I write to a lot of people that I came across and right. you know, <laughs> had right. them write back to me? I could have right. a big collection of letters, but, you know, it's one of those I coulda, I woulda, I shoulda. You know. 
You know, there's going to be different people that watch this, and Arthur Miller obviously wrote Death of a Salesman, All My Sons, you know, a classic, iconic. The Price. I like The Price. Okay. You know, the old Jewish man. Yeah. And the two brothers, about the two brothers. Sure. It's iconic. The plays, Arthur Miller's iconic. And now people are probably too young to know that his daughter, Rebecca, is married to Daniel Day-Lewis. You've been watching Brian Lally, Hollywood Native. Now I want to talk to you about something I'm really passionate about, and that's teaching acting. So I co-founded Lola's Acting School with my son, Kyle Lally, Lally or Lally Acting School. I've been acting for a long time now, of 100 plus credits on IMDb, hundreds of plays I've been involved with over the years, and I just want to share that experience with you. What we do differently here at Lola's is we give you practical advice that you can use on a movie set, on a play, an audition, anywhere. We give you the foundation to build yourself as a great actor. If you come to us, you don't know anything. We can teach you everything you need to know to be comfortable on a, on a set and to excel. Don't just listen to me. Look at what our students are doing. Daryl Wesley, who is writing on two hit shows, The Game and The Upshaws, and Ben Barrett, who is a series regular on The Politician, Megan Davis who is playing Amber Heard in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story. Come check us out. We're at the Historic Arc Theater in the NoHo Arts District. You ever want to try plant-based eating? I have. What, you're a little confused, overwhelmed, you don't know how to get started? Definitely. Well, there's a simple answer to that. Go to Debbie Chu's Chew on Vegan YouTube channel. Debbie Chu is a plant-based RN. I've known Debbie for over 38 years, and she's very good at what she does. You go to the channel, and there's 300, over 300, recipes. They're simple, easy to make, and they're delicious. If you want to try it, you just might get healthy. Give it a shot. Chew on vegan. Oh, yes. And they have children, so they would try to bring that uh, relevance. I, I think um, she wrote a book about him, didn't she? I, I believe. They might know the, the about him in Maryland, too. Yeah. Being married to Marilyn oh, Monroe. What's the book that uh, View from the Bridge was written after? I read his book, and I can't think of it. Was it a Schulman book? I had heard uh, that during that time, he actually lived in Brooklyn for a while. He lived in Greenpoint, right. under, under the bridge, right. near, the, near the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm -hmm. There was a big area of, of docks. There were docks in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, and he observed... You're on my podcast right now. We're talking about Arthur Miller. <laughs> oh, then uh, call me later. What's his biography, autobiography, the Time view bends. from the bridge? Huh? Oh, no. Uh, it's, it's what? It's Time Bends is his auto. Time Bends. That's his autobiography. What's yeah. it called? Time yeah. Bends. Oh, yeah. Time Bends. Yeah. See, yeah. you called it at the right time, Thor. Right, Time Bends. Thor Gold on the phone, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I will talk to you later, man. Definitely. Thanks for the help. Yeah, I was going to say, being an actor in New York at that time, it was very, very personal. Mm -hmm. You didn't send auditions in, you know, by video. You didn't do things in your living room. You did them in front of people. Right. And I got very used to meeting directors, improvising with directors, mm -hmm. little scenes and things. Um, I got very used to that. Uh, and I no longer, I no longer work. But the point is that um, I know that here now in Los Angeles, you don't meet anybody. You send everything in, mm -hmm. and um, 
I'm not too good with technology. <laughs> I see that with a lot of my friends around my age. You know, it's like, uh, you know, but it's the way it is, right? Times change, and, and you know, if you look at the benefits, you know, driving all over the place, you don't have to look for parking, you know, you don't have that. It, it can be more convenient, I guess. I mean, I prefer to be in the office myself, too. Well, it's just good. But to, it is what it is. It's just good to meet a person. Yeah. Well, it is, and you have that energy, the uh, adrenaline of going yeah, in there for the yeah, first time. Yeah. But my son helps me with most of my auditions, so I get to hang out with my kid. He's a great director. And, you know, I kind of like being able to do it several times, you know, and send in the, the one you like, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because you were talking about being a stand-up comic and great yes. in the car. So there's always the three auditions we talk about. The, right. the one in the car, the one in the room. And the, the one on the way home is on always the, the best. Oh, yes. That's yeah. the worst one. <laughs> so, Now, did you train with at the actor studio? Oh, that's the thing. So yeah. when I was doing the play and my wife had told me, you got to study acting, you know, I, I did that play with Al, the first play. All I did was take these exercise classes with uh, Alec Rubin. Mm -hmm. um, he, he called it uh, body work. He called it uh, body awareness. That was mostly what the acting was. So I asked... Pacino at that time. I knew he was living with Lee Strasberg. I just knew that's mm -hmm. where he lived, literally. Uh, I said, you know, I really want to, and so on. He said, well, he, okay. He said, I'll tell him, but just write a letter. And he gave me the address. It was on Central Park West. Just write a letter saying who you are and what you want to do and put a phone number and you'll get a call back. And son of a gun, I wrote the letter. It was like to a secretary at Lee Strasberg's home, I guess, mm -hmm. and Central Park West. And I got the call back saying classes start whenever it was, September. I think it was in, that September. Yeah, exactly, that September of 66. Classes start. Now listen, the classes with Lee were $120 well, for three months. September, October, November. Now, for this $120, my class was Tuesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. But there was another class Monday, Wednesday. Now, you could sit in on the Monday, Wednesday, but you couldn't talk and you couldn't say right, anything. Right. But your class, Tuesday, Thursday, you were a part of, right? But you could sit in on the other. So I could go to Lee's class four days a week if I wanted to. And many times I did because other friends had other time. And for the class, one day was the scene class and another day was the exercise class, all right? Mm -hmm. He was doing the exercises basically that they learned with the group theater way back there in the 1930s. And later, when I met uh, Luther Adler, who was a member of the group theater, <laughs> he didn't like Lee Strasberg very much. And he said, that Pisha, he called him a Pisha. He used to tell me stories about the group theater, but that's another issue. Mm -hmm. The point is that I studied with Lee, and I really, really liked studying with him, and I really liked his classes, and I really was challenged very much mm -hmm. because one of the exercises was to simply stand in front of the class, just stand there, and he would note your eye is... Flash, your eye is blinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Why is that blinking? Why is your left hand making that movement? Mm -hmm. Why are you shifting your weight? And then you had to sing a song. Mm -hmm. 
but you didn't sing the song. You did it note at a time, like happy birthday would be ha, and you kept it as long as you could. And while you did it, your body, you had to be totally aware of everything going on in your body. That was a very famous exercise mm -hmm. that we did. And boy, you'd see people collapse in front of you because they'd start crying. They never were so challenged in their lives. Mm -hmm. Louder. I want you louder. You know, I can't hear you more. You know, there was that. There was, why are you moving? Why are you doing that? You know, why are that? What are you thinking right now? And you would have to answer. You'd have to just stand in front. It was like being at a firing squad and you were just right there in front. I loved that exercise. Keitel demonstrated it inside the active studio. That what? Inside the active studio, the one with uh, Harvey oh, Keitel. Oh, oh, yeah. He yeah. demonstrates it. Oh, he demonstrated it. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. And then there were other exercises too, the sense memory exercises, mm -hmm. which you did privately in a chair and he would walk around. And then there were also just the relaxation exercises. I was good at that because of Alec Rubin. And um, you sit in a chair, you know, and you let your whole body go. And he'd walk around and he'd pick up your arm. Mm -hmm. And of course, the first time, you know, you, you, you stiff him because you want to pick up the arm for him. Mm -hmm. and he'd make sure that you knew that your body was your instrument and that if you start knocking your knees together when you're singing, you, know, you have to be aware of it right. and that sort of thing. So they were wonderful, and I loved it. I was in the class for three years, mm -hmm. 66 to 67, 67 to 68, 68 to 69, and a little bit of 70 as well. Mm -hmm. I was into my fourth year. I had a lot of friends in the class you know, that I made. Bette Midler was my scene partner for the scene that she did, the first scene that we did. We did it from um, Born Yesterday. Okay. And I played the newspaper reporter, and she was that character. Judy and Holiday. the first time that they meet, you know, and she says, so do you, you know, you want to fool around? Or <laughs> it's a one, she was wonderful to work with. I bet she was great. I mean, Judy Holiday is so iconic. That might be a word for the day, you know, and so smart in real life. But Bette Midler, I bet, had her own approach. I oh, bet she, that was, I mean, she got so much energy, you it know? It was the first scene that she ever did. And as far as I know, the only scene, because after her 12 weeks, she wouldn't, she wouldn't renew. Because mm -hmm. you asked her, right? I asked her point blank. I was up to her apartment and everything. We were rehearsing. Um, the funny thing about, we took the bus down together, and there was a, a shop selling old clothing. Mm -hmm. Now, this is back in 1970, you know, selling old clothing. And she was so fascinated with that shop and the old clothing. She loved, you know, retro yeah. stuff. But I asked her, why? And she said, uh... I guess I don't really need this SHIT. I don't know if I can curse you. <laughs> yeah, you can say I whatever you want. I did already. Yeah. I don't need that shit. And that was her answer. And I went to see her later uh, perform a couple of years later when I was teaching acting in, in Chicago. And she was performing in Chicago with her group. And she was developing this character mm -hmm. at the time. She was developing it, you know, the divine Miss M. Yeah, yeah. And it was great to see her live. Well, she's a great, great actor. A great she is. Singer. She was terrific, yeah. She was brilliant in The Rose. I was an extra in, in the, Rose. the Rose. In the crowds, you know, the concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she was great. Well, she is great. 
Yeah. I, so long I, before, long years before I wanted to be an actor. We just went down and how announced we, on the radio. It's funny so. how we used to call it extras, right? It's, right. They're now background right. people. Right. But when I got my Screen Actors Guild card and my act and my Actors Equity card at the same time, mm -hmm. I got them at the same time. I you get one, you could run over to the other office and get the other one. If you got a contract, mm -hmm. I got a contract in Actors Equity, and I ran over to SAG and I got that card. I started doing extra work right. in New York City, and I did did a lot of a lot of movies. You know, Jane Fonda. I did that police movie that she did that she won an Academy Award for. I did Clute. the Clute. Yeah, I worked on that a couple of days. Mm -hmm. I I did a lot of extra work. It's funny because nowadays, and for years, it's been so looked down upon. But Kevin Bacon was being interviewed, and he was talking about, "Yeah, we got, you know, we got extra work. We could be on the set. We could watch how exactly. things go." That's, it was like, not only that, but if you looked half intelligent and you were breathing, you'd stand out. And I got a lot of special business. They right? call it special mm -hmm. business. You know, you sit at the bar with with the star, and and you you'd have to pass a drink down or something. You know, yeah. uh, I did that in some gangster movie. You know, I was at the bar with somebody and I passed the drink down and things like that. You know, I did a lot of little extra things. Right. You know, you'd stand at the uh, deli counter and you were the guy who got the sandwich before the star did, you know, and that, that was considered special business. Right. What about, was there a lot of uh, famous people that you, people became famous that you studied with in those years? People come in well, and out of class? Say Beth, right? Beth Midler, uh, um, yeah, there there were, and I, I, his name went out of my head, but he's very famous. He, he played Mickey Spillane in a TV show. Stacy uh, Keach. Stacy Keach, yeah. of course. I was a spear carrier for Stacy <laughs> Keach at the Actors Studio. Right. He was doing something from Shakespeare. So what happened to me was after I was studying with Lee for a while, I had the temerity to ask him could I be an observer at the studio? And he said, sure, just come and see so-and-so, and he'll tell you. And I did work at the studio in other people's things. Right. You know? Stacy Keach did um, Richard III scene where he stops the coffin. So I, uh, I was there. And l later when I did the TV show, I had a little scene with him, and he was looking at me funny, and I said, yeah... You know me, I was, I was at the actor's studio, oh my gosh, you know, and it was really nice to see him. So he was one, and there were a lot of actresses, Mimi Cousins, who just passed away recently. She was one of my classmates at the studio. People would come and go, you know, and it is a long time ago, so it's really a little hard to remember did you end up as becoming, much as I do remember. Did, hmm? did you end up becoming a member of the studio? I only auditioned once. Uh, was right after Serpico. No, mm -hmm. I, you had to audition a lot of times, you know, and I, I just didn't. You did it once and that was it? I did it once, yeah, for myself. And then they told me, well, why don't you, why don't you assist other people so we can see you more often? Mm -hmm. so, so I did uh, assist a couple of others. I was in their scenes. But then my interest waned and I thought, you know, I don't, I'll move on. I don't really need this. Do you know what scene you auditioned? Yeah, one of those comedy shows that was very popular in the 60s about the clown. Um, Herb Gardner? Uh, yeah, Herb Gardner. A Thousand Clowns? A Thousand Clowns. 
Was it called A Thousand Clowns? A Thousand well, Clowns, yeah. yeah. But there was a real clown in it. I don't know, I, I, but I know there's he a He played a clown a on clowns. TV. Yeah. Yeah. He played a clown on TV. In the show. Mm-hmm. He played Didn't Ron Howard play the kid in that? Who played the kid in that? Somebody. I don't know. I did a scene from that show. It was the yeah. 60s, a real 60s uh, play, you know. Mm-hmm. Bubbles was his name, the clown. Yeah. I, it's been did a you ever work time. on, uh, you'd be good in uh, Rican Love, L-U-V? Oh, I did that play. Did yeah, I, I did I, it here in, in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, yeah, I did that play. I loved it. I loved everything that Alan Arkin did. And uh, what's his name? And his wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking to Elaine May, who are we talking me. about? You know, I'm, no, not Elaine May. Not Joseph Elaine Bologna, who are we? Oh, well, I worked with Joe Bologna. I was in his show. You That's were, how I wait got, a minute. You were in one of my all-time favorite movies, right? My favorite year? Oh, definitely. Yes. I did my scene with with Mr. Richard... I Peter mean, O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Yeah, Peter O'Toole. Oh, my God. And... Um, What's he in? I, I love that Richard Benjamin. Film. See, Richard Benjamin directed... Right. Lainey Kazan is in it. Yeah, she was great. And Lainey Kazan, yeah, great. yeah. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah, it's great. And what Richard Benjamin did... I was... Um, it was a Jewish neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. right. And he goes... To, <laughs> She's wearing a wedding gown. Right, he goes to dinner at but, the house. But I'm right. the super, yeah. you know. Okay. Oh. Um, my name was, uh, I don't know, Salvatore. Oh, yeah, but you, yeah. Salvatore. Okay. I'm the super. Yeah. Because uh, O'Toole says to me, how did you get here? And I said, I'm the super. Yeah. yeah. You're the best. Right. <laughs> That's, uh, That's a great film. But he put a kid on my shoulder, Richard Benjamin. I, I met him later, and I said, why did you put that kid on my shoulder? Because... Because it was funny. It, it it was funny. I'm carrying a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm have a word with Peter O'Toole. Yeah, but it's it's the family I, aspect. No, of course. No, no, no. I'm not correcting. I'm I'm doing a little script analysis. I'm enjoying it. I'm like, yeah, it's a family, and they got the family in there. Here comes a guy. It's the all super about carrying a kid. You yeah, know, to see the movie star. You know. Yeah. And uh, it was wonderful. Richard Benjamin was very good. He was very nice to me, and you know. It's a funny story about Richard Benjamin because um, I used to run into him and his wife on the, the bus. Paul the, Apprentice, wasn't it? Paul Apprentice, yeah. yeah. That's what I was like. And Look, I spent a whole show trying to remember terms of endearment. Oh. So if you're forgetting anything. No, of course. I you know, Jack things. Carpenter was here. and I was. Oh, trying, yes. Yeah. Oh, right. right. So. I ran into on the number 10 bus. That's the bus that goes up 8th Avenue mm-hmm. to the west side. So West Side bus, number 10. And then at 42nd Street, it turns and goes, it goes down 42nd Street to the United Nations. So if you lived on the Upper West Side, mm-hmm. you took the number 10 bus. Stops on Columbus Avenue, one way going down. So you take the number 10 bus, you go along 8th Avenue, and those are the Broadway, yeah. you, you can, if you're working in a Broadway theater or something. So all the actors were on that bus all the time. I ran into Sidney Lumet, I ran into Elia Kazan, I ran into <laughs> Richard Benjamin and Paul Apprentice, Alan Arkin, I ran into Alan Arkin, that's who I meant, Yeah. Uh, playing in love. I, I, I just loved Alan Arkin, I still do. Yeah. Free Bean the Bean. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I got to know Luther Adler, and he had been in so many Broadway shows, and he had so many stories to tell, you know, about the group theater and about Harold Kluerman, and... He didn't talk about his sister, you know, Stella Adler. They were on the outs. Oh. Well, the Adler family, they, 
shouldn't talk about them, but they it's okay they had they yeah. had family problems, you know, all families do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Luther was very close to his a different sister. The story I read, which I find fascinating, I talk about it when I teach all the time, is that at one time, I guess when everybody was younger, and the father, you know, Jacob Adler, the legendary, the iconic Jacob Adler, uh, was there. They, they would come home uh, and they'd gather for dinner at the table and they would tell stories and sometimes act them out. And I just thought, you know, as someone who was never encouraged to do anything in my life, uh, besides whatever, um, you know, I had no encouragement from, from the family. Uh, accepted encouraged not to do what I wanted to do to hear that that these artists would get together what I saw a guy in the street you know and he walked like this and he said and it was I just thought it was uh, yeah. fascinating and at that time so there was a time in their lives but yeah I know it happens you know I don't yeah. talk to my brother Luther what used to do? talk about his father a great deal right. and also his mother his mother was an actress too right and and Luther was on the stage when he was five years old so that's why when he had to take orders from Lee Strasberg or Harold Klorman during that period uh, in the 30s, the group theater, he, he would get offended, you know? He would get offended. Every time I went to visit him, he'd say, okay, you're visiting, great, have fun. We're going to have fun this weekend, but I don't want to hear anything about the actor's studio. I don't want to tell any stories. Just forget about mm -hmm. it, okay? And then he'd say, I'll make you a martini now that's going to knock you on your ass. And then he'd make the martini, and he said, and my favorite sandwich, which was rye bread, sardines on onions Oy. with lettuce and tomato on that, rye bread. That's a Depression-era sandwich. I know, I know. You know, he, so then... My after, mother liked a sardine no, sandwich. No, 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 I say it. South Bronx in the Depression, my mom, so... Oh, yeah, the go. same thing, the South yeah. Bronx. Yeah. yeah, that's where Cardinal Hayes was. It was in the South Bronx. Yeah. Yeah, and of course I grew up in East Harlem, which in itself right. is already, uh, you know, George Carlin, if I'm not mistaken, actually went to Cardinal Hayes High School. Well, that might be it. I know it's a famous name. I know there's people that's, that have come out of there. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, Burt Lancaster. Yeah. When I met Burt Lancaster in, uh, in Hollywood here, and I met him because I worked in a garage parking cars in Century City. It was... The address was 1999 Century City. It was mm -hmm. right near right. Century City, and it was a big office building, and the garage yeah. was down. Right. Mr. Lancaster was in that building, and he'd have his managers would mm -hmm. come. I got to know his managers like an Italian guy, you know, from the neighborhood. And I always knew that Bert Lancaster was born in East Harlem. And he's Italian, you know that. But he's only Italian on one side. Right. On his mother's side. I did not know I that. I didn't know that either. You didn't know he was an Italian? No. Tony's no. Ita only Italian no. on his well, mother's a, side. So there you go. Yeah. Well, he could Tony, have been yeah. Bert Lancaster. There you like go. you. Like you. He yeah. was an Irish. And he was born in East Harlem. And he used to go to the Boys Club, which was on 111th Street, where the gas tanks were. There were big gas tanks on First Avenue, and there was a Boys Club. Now, I never went to the Boys Club. I went a couple of mm -hmm. times. But... I was on 114th Street, and we had a YMCA in a church basement. Mm -hmm. So I used to go to the YMCA. I never went to the... I did go to the boys' club a few times, but I wasn't a regular there. Also, we had the LaGuardia House on 116th Street. Mm -hmm. Fiorello LaGuardia was the congressman from East Harlem. Right. And when he went on to become the mayor, our next congressman was Vito Marcantonio, who was 
the only uh, the only upfront communist ever elected to Congress, Vito Marcantonio, American Labor Party. Wow. I used to attend his uh, rallies. He'd always have rallies. Me and Marco Vassi, we would go to the rallies all the time. Vito Marcantonio, he was, he was a wonderful man. He was a very, very good man. And everything. he got a bad rap. As a communist. Because he was it can he ran for mayor. Yeah, he ran for mayor. But, but he was a firebrand. Mm. And he, he worked hard for the people of East Harlem. You know, I grew up at, at the time, Tony, I think you would appreciate this, when... Italians, this is pre-Godfather, if you know what I mean. Right. It wasn't accepted, honest and truly. It yeah, wasn't yeah. accepted. It was kind of frowned upon. A lot of people changed their names. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not the only one. You know, Tony Bennett is not Bennett. No. It's Di Benedetto. Right. right. And, and on and on. There were a lot of others in Hollywood who had changed their names. Sinatra didn't. Um, you know, there was a big riot in 1946 or 7 in the public high school Benjamin Franklin it was black and white riot mm -hmm. but the black kids and the white kids they really did get along very well in that school because I looked it up I looked up the whole history of that Benjamin Franklin high school on Sound Pleasant Avenue mm -hmm. and it's right around the corner from where I live I looked up the whole history it was divided it was like 38% Italian, 15% Irish, 10% black, added up or something. Jewish. Another 15 Jewish. 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 Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was a very mixed school. And they got along really well. They had basketball team and everything. They, they got along very well. But there was some argument, you mm -hmm. know, that spilled out into the street. And, of course, the racial matters were always on the surface when I grew up mm -hmm. because we were in Harlem. You know, I used to go to 125th Street all the time and 7th Avenue. I knew where the Apollo Theater the Apollo was. That's Theater, where all the clothing yeah. stores were. Okay. And uh, there was always this thing, mm -hmm. you know, right on the surface about, about blacks because of Harlem. But, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, later in, in, in your acting career, did you hang out at Columbus? Because my cousin used to go to Columbus all the time. Bruce, uh, You're talking about... The high school? No, Columbus, the uh, bar restaurant. Bruce Willis was a bartender there. Oh, no. I forget the name of it now again, but I did the one in Lincoln Square. He, he, Joe Allen. Joe Allen's, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. Okay. And then there was another one also around, around 63rd Street or something up on the west side. Yeah. No, I, um, every time I go to New York, I stop at Joe Allen's. Yeah. yeah it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. A lot of friends of mine were bartenders there and waiters there. Yeah. You yeah. had to work with my cousin, too, uh, Danny Aiello. Oh, sure. Did you work with him? No, I ne I've met him. Yeah, yeah. I, ne I never worked with him. Because Danny would go to Columbus and get a lot of jobs there. I mean, yeah. he would just be people. Well, he bounced at the improv, too. Right, right. So he met Woody Allen and worked with Woody Allen. Well, I was good friends with Carmine Caridi. Okay. Who was Danny Aiello's best friend, best enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know there were a lot of those... <laughs> This, what time he said, one time, Carmen Caridi, I used to have lunch with him every Monday. One time, somebody said, oh, I got a lot of luck. I got a lot of good luck. I had good luck, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he said, no, you didn't have good luck. Danny Aiello had good luck. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have good luck. And yeah. he didn't like 
No, no, I know, I know. <laughs> and he worked with uh, Robert De Niro. He didn't like Robert De Niro either. <laughs> he didn't like him. He thought he was a terrible actor. I'm oh, serious. Yeah, and he yeah. was in The Godfather, a couple, you know, yeah, both yeah. of them. And it's just, it's peculiar, you know, the way actors are, right? I would find that with a, a, a lot of my Italian actor friends. They, you know, they wouldn't want to help you out. I was just about to say that. They didn't want to help you out. It's like, you know, if I knew of an audition, I called my friend Jimmy DiStefano and I'd say, Jimmy, you got to go on this audition. Yeah. If I wasn't going to get it, I'd like to see my friend get it. But not everybody thinks that way. No, no. And I found it with a lot of my Italian friends. Yeah, I knew that. See, I joined this group in New York City, this acting group that were going to do Italian plays, mm -hmm. Pirandello, where we're going to do Italian plays. So mm -hmm. we had meetings. Every time we had a meeting, we had a fight, <laughs> an argument. Pirandello, what are we doing, Pirandello? Then one guy said, Shakespeare, you know, this thing about Shakespeare, everything about Shakespeare, I go to audition for Shakespeare. They, they practically threw me out of the place. <laughs> and, it, and it's for Julius Caesar. They're, they're all Italians, right? And Julius Caesar, they're Italians, right? They're, and they tell me, no, I'm not right for the part. I could do Shakespeare. And you'd hear them argue like that all the time. Yeah. Well, Hat Full of Rain was... Oh, yeah. Was, you know, okay. uh, performed at that level. You I know, know that. Right? I know that because yeah. I, I met uh, the writer. Uh, what's his name? What's his Gazzo. name? Gazzo. Were you in the studio when they were developing it? Ben Gazzo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael. Michael, Michael Gazzo. Gazzo. Yeah, no. Yeah. See, Richard Lepore was an actor, and he was in that show. Mm -hmm. And Richard Lepore became a Hollywood actor. L-A-P-O, I think it's R-E, Richard Lepore. He was a good friend of Frank Sinatra's. In fact, he, he was in... Um, uh, the Manchurian Candidate, he was one of the soldiers, and, mm -hmm. and he was an Italian guy from 116th Street. And the reason I met him is because I used to be a tutor when I, I had many jobs when I came to California. We, we all have. <laughs> I used to be a tutor, and I got to tutor his son. Uh, and so I met Richard Lepore, and he was from 116th Street. You know, there are a lot of people from East Harlem. Well, you must have had shell shock when you came from... New York, where it was more about the work and more about talent, yes. and then you come to L.A. and it's all about connections and who do you, who you well, know. Well, not only that, but it, but it's all about type, yeah. incredibly type. Yeah. You know, you're a bright new face because you fill that type. Right. And then after they use you for a while, they forget about you. You can't do anything else. Why'd you come here? You thought there was more opportunity. Well, oh, 116th. That's a subway stop. Wow. Yeah, sure. Lexington I'm in Harlem. You I'm in Harlem. You took a picture of it. Well, yeah, you know. Well, that's nice. I was up in Harlem. I was like, I might die. So, you know, let me take a picture of the, of the uh, subway yeah, where, stop here. Where I was. I was on my way to um, meet a buddy. Yeah, we went to the Apollo. Yeah. Why yeah. did I come to California? Yeah. And when? When, when, when well, was it? Well, after being fired from Lenny, okay. Oh, you were in Lenny, the movie? Not the movie, the play. The play? Yeah. I had to look it up this morning because... Um, and were you Lenny? I was his understudy, Cliff Gorman. Okay. I was good friends with Cliff Gorman. Tom O'Horgan was the great director. He was director of Hair, mm -hmm. and then he did a lot of other shows. Wasn't he the creator of Hair, too? The he creator? Did, he was the director of Hair. When right. When it was off Broadway, then it got mm -hmm. to be on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, he, wasn't he one of the stars, too, or he was, no, that no, was different? No, no, He was just okay, the director. Okay. Tom O'Horgan. Okay. And he was a real hippie, you mm -hmm. know. I'm not a hippie type, but Lenny was a type like I am. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I met Lenny's mother, she looked at my face. She said, Jesus, you look just like him because I had bushy hair, mm -hmm. you know. And, 
he had a real Italian Jewish face, mm -hmm. you know. No, I was in Lenny. I made it, and I was in it, and I was the understudy for Lenny, and every Wednesday and Saturday I would rehearse, you know. And I did, how many weeks did I do? A lot of weeks in Lenny. With a part, I had a part in Lenny. I played one of his best friends from mm -hmm. childhood, his mm -hmm. childhood friends, and I grew up with him, like one of the guys, you know. Right. And there were two of us. But Tom O'Horgan got a, I don't know, a bee in his bonnet. He fired a few people who started out in the show. Right. I wasn't the only one. As we went on, I don't know, suddenly, creatively, you weren't right, even though he hired you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he came to me one day, and he liked me a lot. He said, ah, I'm sorry, you're just, you, you're the understudy, and, and I don't know, I don't think you're rabbinical enough. That's what he said to me, his exact words. <coughs> I don't think you're rabbinical enough. Now, was Lenny rabbinical? <laughs> I guess so. I guess he was, if you can see it that way. But nobody ever told me you're not Jewish enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody ever told me that. Wow. Anyway, I had a big resentment toward him for a long, long time. And I was in such a depression mm -hmm. after that. You know, when you're in a Broadway show, and it was my second Broadway show. Who was your first? Lovers and Other Strangers. Oh, shit. Which, which scene? The first scene with uh, Zora Lampert. But it, it's and a I one where you're uh, you about know, making love? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you were in yeah. bed together? Yeah. No, we didn't never get into bed together. We did, but you didn't see it. The in bed was the husband and wife. Right, okay. And that was right. Renee and Joe Bologna. Right, okay. They were wonderful people in that right. show. Yeah. Zora Lampert. Charles Grodin was the director. Oh, God. And I didn't even have my equity card. But I waited all day long. And then when I went in, I went in as Johnny Armin. I was really, like, brash. Yeah, yeah. And uh, why are you guys keeping me waiting? I could have gone home. I could have had dinner. I could have come back. I mean, Jesus Christ, I waited so long just to come in here and read for you guys. I don't give a shit. Here, here's my thing, you know. And but <laughs> I did one of those numbers. Right. I did the Johnny Armin, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. brash guy number. I don't know, Charles Grodin loved me. And then Renee Taylor, she read with me. And then we, then we went on stage. That was the interview. Mm -hmm. She said, we're going to get you to go on stage. And you know what I said? I said, yeah, yeah, they all say that. But son of a gun, after a couple of months, she called me, and I went on stage. And I have to tell you, she studied with Leah as well. Right. Anyway. I got on stage with Renee Taylor, and never, and I still can remember have I met somebody on stage as an actor who was so with me? I mean, it was like Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. It was that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was an audition. So with me. It was incredible. She was wonderful. And she improvised and everything. And she played the... It's about a guy wanting to get laid on a right, Friday right, night, right, you know. Right. Every Friday night, I, even, I either meet a nut... Or I, oh, or you I, did that role? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great role. I know it is. Yeah, yeah. I know it is. <laughs> I, I know it was. I was very yeah. much like that guy. Yeah, no, that was great. And I auditioned. Anyway, but the point is that I understudied him, and, uh, mm -hmm. but I was in the show from the beginning to the end. Nice. And I got my card. That's how I ran over to SAG. I right. the card yeah. there, too. So um, That would just be a great time living in New York, Working on Broadway, hanging out afterwards. Exactly. That's, it was so real. Yeah. 
because it was real people yeah and you were with each other it wasn't technological you know or right. getting in your yeah, car yeah, yeah. and driving right there were no cars we didn't have we rode on the bus yeah. right and met people on the bus right you know, or on the subway yeah you know. So it was great. I had fun, and, and I had fun in California, too. I had a very good time. I was in a lot of shows here. A lot where, of so what year shows. did you come here? Oh, I came here in 76. Godfather I've been two here a long out. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, uh, I auditioned. I, did, I wouldn't say I auditioned. I interviewed uh, with Francis mm -hmm. twice for The Godfather. The first time was with my old name, Johnny Armin. You know, he kind of liked me, but mm -hmm. nothing happened. And then for the second one, after I had done the movie with Al, I'm, with Al Pacino and everything, I went in to meet him. And uh, he said, don't I know you? And I said, yeah, I'm John Medici, but I had another name. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I talked to him. I don't know. We just didn't, we just didn't mm -hmm. hit it off. That one. Didn't pan out. It was well, it didn't pan out, yeah. And then did you continue doing theater Maybe, here? I blamed myself, you see. An actor always do that. As soon as you Doesn't walk an actor out, always blame somebody else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I well, understand I what you're saying. Well, I somebody else, and that's what made the... Uh, yeah, that's what you got a... You got a $100,000 letter from... Letter uh, from Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller. Because I blamed the yeah. person who didn't so. give me the audition. No, no, you know, you feel like you did something wrong. Or oh, whatever, yeah. But, but yeah. it just was chemistry you mm -hmm. know i could have easily been in it yeah. so you come out here and so I you started doing theater 76 and uh i did theater a lot i did a lot of the 99 seat theaters yeah, yeah. you know and i went to all the equity meetings about changing 99 seat contract making a contract and all mm -hmm. of that do you know michael olema he's my best friend uh, send him my love when you when you see him i used to play poker with michael you played poker with Michael. Yeah. yeah. He's my best friend, yeah. literally. He lives less and Louise than... Louise is but do you know wonderful. Him? That was the I question. I walk over to his house. His house he, is less than Is a he mile. still painting? Yeah, he draws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he draws. Yeah, and, please uh, send him and Louise my he's love. He's retired uh, yeah. as well. And, yeah. and I guess I officially retired. But listen, something comes up. I got my picture and resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm ready. So you know, must know Bruce Kirby, too. I knew him very well yeah. because we also, I was a member of this uh, theater company, Theater, theater East. East. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I did my one-man show. Wait a minute. When were you part of Theater East? I was part of Theater East from 1978 until about 1990. Twelve I years. I bartended at Jerry's Deli. Oh, for God's For sakes. four years. <laughs> yeah. The Tuesday night? Every Tuesday the, night. Yeah, yeah, John. I was there okay. bartending for four okay. years. I'm going to tell you something about my drinking, okay? I liked drinking at home. Okay. I didn't like going to bars. And I went down quite a few times. I went down, and there was a big mob, you know. Yeah. And I would ask somebody like Michael Lalime, would you get me a beer and yeah, yeah. do it? And then I'd leave and finish it in my car driving mm -hmm. home. I was a member for 12 years, more than a lot. I did a one-man show there. What was your one-man show? Well, first it was called Dread. Got very good reviews. Did you write it? Yes. Yeah. Jack uh, Colvin directed me. Jack Colvin from The Hulk. Yeah. He didn't care for me. A lot of those people didn't care for me. I wasn't acting yet. I used well, to give him a hard time because they didn't tip he was much. A he was a tough guy to get along with. But you yeah. see, one night they had nobody at the, uh, to do a scene. 
and it was a Tuesday night. And you always had a scene so we could mm -hmm. critique, you know? So there was nobody. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm Johnny Armin. These people don't know who the fuck I am, you know? They know me as John Medici. I got up on the stage and I did Johnny Armin. I started. At this time, I was relaxed, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I started talking about being the Italian Tumula up at the Catskill Mountains. I sat at the family table. That's where I learned the Yiddish. Mm -hmm. And I started using Yiddish expressions, you know, this is my kepel, this is my tukus. Oh, no, it's the other way around. <laughs> you know, I, I had all of these jokes. And I started talking about the Catskill Mountains. Then I talked about uh, being a monk and, you know, getting out of the, the monkery and telling my wife, I want to be a stand-up comic. Mm -hmm. I talked about my life. Right, right. But I made it funny, all right? I did what Milton Berle says a comic really does. A comic says things funny. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say funny things. Mm -hmm. He says things funny. And then he pulls out his penis? Is that what Milton <laughs> Berle said? <laughs> then yeah. he steals somebody else's joke. Yeah. yeah. So you knew Lynn Lowry? Very well. I still do. We have her email. Once in a while, she lets me know uh, what she's in. She's living on the East Coast, I think. Is she? She was yeah. playing a hooker in something, and she yeah, picked she up always, on me in the bar when I was like 21 years old. She's always playing uh, yeah. something. Uh, she's in a lot of horror movies. And you, right? Yeah. And it's you funny knew that you know Michael. And you knew yeah. Mi you knew Michael Fox, which is why Michael J. Fox had to put the J in there. They're related. I didn't know. No, that. no. When Michael, oh, he just when did Michael it because Fox, of Mike Michael Fox. J. Fox went to join. There was well, already a Michael okay. Fox. Michael Fox used to critique every Tuesday night. He'd mm -hmm. sit somewhere in the back. I yeah. can't hear you. Right. I couldn't hear you through the whole scene. That was his critique all the time. <laughs> Tom Bellin? Yes, I loved Tom. I Dave was, Cox? Uh, David, yeah. David, David Cox? In fact, David, I helped him build that theater. Which theater? I the helped theater. him build. Well, Which one? Well, it's on the corner of Lancashire, right off the corner. The tall theater? Yeah. Yeah. The, the two-story thing. Well, did you help him build the I other didn't... one that was in the old mortuary? The Renegade Theater? I helped them build the Alliance Theater, wait, wait, the Renegade wait, Theater. You mean the one on Cahuenga Boulevard? <laughs> no, the one that was on Magnolia right next to Sitton's Restaurant, which no, is now... I didn't help them build that one. I knew yeah, about it. But that no, I even did my show at his theater on Magnolia and Lancashire. Okay. I did my so show the, there. The reason, the reason I'm here today is because of David Cox. Not something. David Cox came to me when I was bartending, and he said, I, he said, I think you could be an actor. And I was like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. He said, I really think you could be an actor. I want you to come to my class. And I said, well, I can't do that. I was really drinking and using a lot. And he said, I, I'm not gonna I won't charge you. Come to my classes. I said, look, Dave, I'll probably come in there and steal someone's purse, and then we're not going to be friends anymore. So if I, ever, if I ever get clean, I'll come see you. And when I got out of rehab, I called him. He said, the offer still stands. I went to his class. I was hyperventilating. I did the repetition exercise. Mm -hmm. I went with my close friend, Julie Summer, who still, she drove me there. And I was hyperventilating. And that's, that's the reason I started acting, because David Cox encouraged me. He directed me in the first play. We had a one-act festival at the Alliance Theater. And he was very encouraging. And that's the reason... I'm acting today because David Cox yeah, well, told he's, me. He's still friendly with me. I, I have his email address. Oh, yeah, I talked to him. And you talked to him. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell him about us. I will. Yeah. There was a John something. Tall John. Was he Italian? I can't think of his last. Did you know uh, Kathleen O'Malley? 
very well, and I know her. You know Sean, obviously, because yeah. we're all in the same club. And, Sh and Darren. Sean has a brother. Darren. Yeah, sure. I knew yeah. both. I knew Kathleen very well. Yeah. In fact, I have another letter from Marie Windsor. Remember the actress? Of course Marie I knew Windsor. Marie Windsor. She didn't drink too much. She'd have a glass of wine. I loved her. Yeah. B-movie queen. She was so sweet. She was. Yeah. She And she wrote Victor me. French. Oh, gosh. Victor French. Yes. There was another guy named him. Michael. I forget his last name. Wait a minute. Were you in the the adaption of Gorky's Lower yes, Depths? Yes, I was. That was a great play. I know. So I'm, there was a guy named Michael, and I can't think of his last name. He'd be around my age. Well, Alimo took my place, this Michael Alimo. See, that this was done in his the name. summer. I'll tell you when that was done. That was done in the summer of 1990, and Jack Colvin did the adaptation. Right. I became very close to Jack Colvin. He was a real mentor. Right. I was in it. And they were smoking in the theater then, and I told mm -hmm. that it drove me crazy, all doing the rehearsals. Yeah. It really, really drove me crazy. It was a small theater. I love a bowling alley, you know? Yeah. And I had decided to go back to school in 1990 because school has always been a refuge for me, mm -hmm. really and truly. I got one master's degree in New York. In fact, I finished it after I was fired from, uh, from Lenny. Mm -hmm. I went back to school. And I finished the degree, the first one. So I wanted to get a degree in English. And that fall was when I was returning to class. So 1990, I went to Northridge in September when the classes started. The place started maybe in late July. So I did the first month or so. And then I left. So I was in it when it opened. I, I, rehearsed it. I was the crazy guy in the beginning. I forgot the name of the character right. whose wife had died and he was incredibly angry. And That was one of the better plays I've seen in Los Angeles in my life. It was really well. I, I remember it standing out for me. Yeah. Well, that was Jack Colvin. He directed that. Well, you know, Jack Colvin's... <laughs> Jack. Well, he had a lot of talent. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying he didn't. You just mentioned Jack Colvin, and all I see is jerk. So <laughs> I'm glad he worked for you, and I'm glad he. No, it was a great was, play. It was a really a good play. Well, he was a and, mentor to a lot of people. I have to tell you, he took a liking to me when I got up that night, and I just improvised. Right. He kind of took a liking to right. me. Right. So uh, maybe it was Bruce Kirby or one of the older guys mm -hmm. at the theater, because uh, Bruce was a a member of the, of the Theater East, yeah. uh, who said to me, do this thing, do it as a show, and get Jack Holvin to direct you. I said, oh, he'd never want to do it, you know. But he said he would. And Bruce was the opposite of what I was saying about, like, a, I knew a lot of Italians that didn't want help other oh, Italians. Yeah, no. Bruce was just such a gentleman. He was a mentor to me. Yeah. yeah. Darwin Johnston. Oh, gosh, yes, Darwin. Um, he was one of the smokers. Yeah. Yes. Killed he was him. one of the smokers. Killed him. Yes. He was a good guy, though. I liked him. He was a great guy. I know. He that. was a good actor. Assault on Precinct 13? Yeah, yeah. Not the remake, the original. The original. He carried that movie. Yeah. He was a good guy. Then he found a living as a transportation captain, made a lot of money. But he was a good actor. That old movie, he does a good job in that. You yeah, know what I mean? Darwin. Yeah. What was his girlfriend's name? Little Petite Blonde? Boy, was she beautiful. I don't know. Yeah. There was also another John, Johnny, uh, New York guy, Italian name. Me? No. He was, he was kind of husky. 
He was a bigger guy. He didn't like me either. Johnny Roast Beef? Oh, I've worked with, you know Johnny? Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny's he, 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 was in, he was in uh, Last Night In, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I wrote, I wrote a, a feature and, and, and Johnny's in it. You and see, then I wrote two shorts and he's in those too. You see, I used to go to this lunch once in a while. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to be too associated with the, the Goombas. And uh, Carmine Caridi had this lunch. Right, right, right. Every Monday. <clears throat> so I went to it a few times. Mm-hmm. So one time I was in the lunch and Johnny Roast Beef walks in. <laughs> now, I vaguely remembered him in the movies. I vaguely remembered mm-hmm. him because I'm not that big a fan of that kind of movie. But I know he, yeah, was, yeah. he was in the Goodfellas and all. So I see him. And he starts to talk, and I'm telling you, the way he was talking, I could tell right away. I knew this guy was from East Harlem. I knew he mm-hmm. was from the neighborhood. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it in my mind, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hear him talking, and I say, hello, Johnny. I'm John Medici. And he says, yeah, Johnny. Yeah, John. Good, good, good. You, you're new here. I said, yeah, yeah, I come once in a while. Where are you from? I said, uh, I'm from New York. He says, yeah, where in New York? I said, I'm from 114th Street and 1st Avenue. Jesus! I lived on that block. (laughs) That's what he said. I lived on that block. He comes around. He sits next to me. I'm not kidding. And from that point on, and I got his number and everything. I've been to Rayo's many times. I could do no wrong with Johnny Roseby. I could do no wrong with him. Believe me. I was in the hospital. He sent me a letter. Oh, nice. No, he's a great guy, Johnny. He just loves me because I literally lived on 100. I was born on 114th Street. He moved there from 109, 9th Street, where the boys' club was, 111. Mm -hmm. It was like a different area, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know how it can be. I was on Pleasant Avenue. Block Mm -hmm. to block. Yeah, it was block to block. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was the neighborhood. So when he moved to my block... He actually got to know my mother because I left the street in 1967 or something. I left mm-hmm. East Harlem. But uh, Johnny moved there like in 1970, and my mother was still alive. And everybody on that street knew her. You know, she was this little yeah. Italian lady with the shopping bags all the time. And um, yeah, Johnny lived on that street yeah. because it's right down the street from Rayo's. Right. The famous one. Yeah. So you come out here, you're doing plays? I did Did you start working uh, on TV and film as well? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I worked in a lot of uh, sitcoms, a lot of them. Yeah, I can see you like on Barney Miller or shows like Uh, that. I never did. I auditioned for him, but I I, I don't know. I auditioned twice for him. For Mm -hmm. some reason, he never hired me. Mm -hmm. But I did uh, Who's the Boss? Uh, I got to read them because I can't remember all of them. No kidding. Murphy Brown, who's the boss? I believe we're right up here if you want to look, John. Oh. That's your IMDb. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, there we are. That's me. Yeah. Okay. Cagney and Lacey. Uh, I got Taft Hartley on Cagney and Lacey. Well, there you go. Because of Tyne Daly, because she heard me talking, and she said, where where are you from? I said, "Uh, I was born in the Bronx. She said, oh, I was from the Bronx, too, and John was from the Bronx, too, and invited me over, and then I... I got Taft Hartley. Good. That's yeah. good for you. Yeah, she was she was really sweet. Well, Jack Colvin's, her partner, what was her name? The blonde? Yeah. Oh, yeah. was um, Jack Colvin's girlfriend for a long time. Oh, okay. So, I uh, feel but bad. I auditioned and I got that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in a lot of those things, you know? 
Oh, Madeline? Oh, yeah. Madeline Kahn. Oh, okay. I was on yeah. that show. I wanted to be a director at one point, you know, because I really am. I, I, I know I, I could do that. Mm -hmm. I think I could anyway. Never too late. But, uh, yeah. They'd have to, Never too late. They'd have to wheel me in. Um, Charlie Lawton they wheeled in. Yeah. But I was an apprentice on that show, mm -hmm. Oh, Madeline. In other words, I hung out. I was learning how to be a director. And I was working extra parts. I'd do right. extra parts. Right. And then one night, uh, David Suskind, remember him? Mm -hmm. He was supposed to be on that show. He was supposed to interview her like, and do a tough interview, you know. Um, I forget the comedic catch. But he came from New York, and he was totally crazy. I mean, really crazy. And he was so crazy that the director said, John, learn these lines, because this guy's not going to last. And um, he didn't. And at the last minute I went on, and I, I played opposite Madeline. I played David Suskind. Right. Yeah. So, you know. And when did uh, Chicago fit into it? You said you, you taught in Chicago? Yeah, 1972. I finished NYU, and I uh, had already worked in Lenny. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a sign at NYU that a, a, a married couple were leaving the Goodman Theater School in Chicago, and they were looking for someone with theater experience, possibly direct. So I said, hey, I got theater experience, and I can direct. So I wrote a letter, and the guy interviewed me, and they hired me to work at the Goodman Theater School in Chicago wow. to take this woman's place. And I did for a whole semester, and I directed a play there among the students and all. I didn't know what to do, you know. You're going to teach acting at a, at a, a college level, mm -hmm. you know. So I didn't know what to do. So I went to my present friend and acting coach after I left Lee Strasberg. His name is Alan Miller. Oh, I know. Uh, knew Alan Miller. Alan still teaches. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Wednesdays is his day that mm -hmm. he teaches on Zoom. Anyway... I went to him and said, Alan, what should I do? So he said, basically do all the exercises that you learned <laughs> with Lee and do the ones that I taught you. And, you know, he gave me some scene books. Mm -hmm. And he said, just do what you know. And that's how I started. I taught acting for a long time. Have you taught out here too? Yeah, I taught at all community colleges. I ended up at Pierce mm -hmm. Community College teaching acting there. But, you know, when you teach at a community college, uh, it's a community college first. It's not right. a professional acting right, right. school. So you're getting kids who, you know, give you excuses like, no, I went <coughs> skiing last weekend yeah, and yeah, I couldn't yeah. do the scene. You know, that kind of thing. After a while, it really wears on you, you mm -hmm. know. Whereas at the Goodman Theater School, or, or maybe your school, the actors are serious. Mm -hmm. They, they oh, really yeah. want to work. Yeah. Well, that's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how we teach. Yeah. Yeah, Tony teaches. Oh, Tony's good. We used to teach yeah. together, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I enjoy... Tony teaches around the world. He found a, he found a thing, and uh, that's wonderful. How many yeah. how many countries you've been to? Fifteen. Fifteen. Really? Yeah, yeah. It happened by accident. That's I was wonderful. <clears throat> teaching at the New York Film Academy. And oh, that's right in my neighborhood. Yeah, and then uh, right. they encourage you to work in the field that you teach. So I was teaching acting, and. Um, I had written my second uh, feature film, so I asked to take a semester off, and then they didn't take me back. Uh -huh. And I put it out on uh, Facebook what had happened, 
well, from teaching there, I had hundreds of students all over the world. So they started reaching out to me and said, Anthony, if uh, I put a class to get together for you in Paris, would you come teach it? So, well, if you put it together, I'll teach it. And that kept happening. Good. So right up until the pandemic, in fact, 2020, it was going to be the best year. Yeah. I had gone to, in January. I taught in uh, Berlin and London and Bangkok for the first time. Wow. And it was all set for the summer, and then it all fell through. Yeah. And it hasn't gotten back on track. Hmm. So. But That's showbiz, isn't it? Yeah, it's showbiz. It's life. And it's life. Yeah. Sure. And that's what happened to me, you know. Uh, eventually, when I got that other degree, I started teaching English. I got a, a gig down at uh, Los Angeles City College. Mm -hmm. And I taught there for almost 25 years. Oh, wow. And then two girls entered our my now married life, different mm -hmm. marriage than the first one. And, um, you know, we, uh, we became the guardians of two children who were distant relatives of my wife okay and so we raised two girls and suddenly i'm home you know in the mornings making uh sandwiches for the kids walking them to school oh wow all of that they were young kids how old were they when they came into your life eight years old wow yeah they're very close they're sisters mm -hmm. they're only a year apart irish uh, we, twins we <laughs> yeah irish twins i met them when they were about four or five years old so i knew them a long time mm -hmm. And uh, distant relatives, it's a long story, it's a total other story. But they were being raised by the grandmother. Grandmother named us in her will. And son of a gun, she dies. Wow. And so did the grandfather. He had Alzheimer's. So we get called to Phoenix. Your name is in the will. And uh, you have the opportunity to, to be their guardians. What do you want to do? Wow. So we did it. Well, that's an incredible story right there. Yeah, I know it is, yeah. Yeah. What do they do now? How old are they? Yeah, well, Corinne lives in North Hollywood, and she's been teaching for a long time. She was teaching grade school okay. at charter schools. She's got a master's degree, mm -hmm. and she's accredited by the state you know, mm -hmm. to be a teacher in California. Mm -hmm. And the other young lady, her sister, Marissa, lives in Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. See, she met this Kansas uh, farmer. <laughs> That's what I call him. Mm -hmm. And he swept her off her feet when she was 19, 20, and took her to Kansas to a small town. And it was a very small town. I mean, a really small mm -hmm. town. And eventually he joined the Air Force. They went to England. She had a baby there. They came back. They got divorced. And she resettled in Lawrence, which is a nice city. And um, she's taking care of her, her son, our grandson. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, I think we had a uh, hell of a session here. I, 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 it went a long time. Oh, it did. Yeah. I couldn't shut you up. I know. That, <laughs> I know that. I hope. Well, if it's it was too fantastic. Long, feel free to cut anything fantastic. you want. <laughs> All the Bronx connections. My mother, 137th and Brook Avenue. Oh my gosh, Brook right Avenue. Else. Yes. You know Brook uh, Avenue? Yeah, sure. It's on that side of the railroad tracks. Yeah, well, there you go, right yeah. by the platform. She went to PS43. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Is yeah, my book. Yeah. Oh, wow. I get a chance to plug my book. Yeah, you do. I wrote a book about East Harlem and about growing up as the uh, son of, a, uh, of Italian immigrants. My parents were immigrants. Mm -hmm. And the book is called Pleasant Avenue. 
And uh, where should you hold it? What camera should you hold it up? Well, it's, yeah. oh, right there, yeah. This one? Sure. And um, Don't, it's, don't, it, don't it, cover it, your name. Oh, here, I'll hold it up. No, you can do it for me. There Thank you, you. And where can people get it? On Amazon, where they get everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually published by the Kindle publishing company, yeah, yeah. which is part of Amazon. In case anybody wants to hire uh, <laughs> an older, mature Italian-American actor. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm ready. So, all right. Well, John, thank you very much for coming out. Tony, thank, thank you for joining oh, thank us. It's my pleasure. Tony, my pleasure, John. Tony, thank you very much. Tony, being really a huge pleasure. Al Pacino fan with a lot of knowledge of Al Pacino, yeah. I thought so we got uh, you. Something else. We get you get a little kick no. out of that. So thank Tony's you. going on. Okay. And thank you. Oh, my pleasure, John. Brian. It's great thank to have you, Brian. Fifteen yeah. years, I know you didn't. How'd you guys meet? Ago, whatever it was. We got mutual friends. We just the, the club. We the, the, club. the club. Oh, okay, okay. Club. We're in a couple clubs together. I got you. We're in a couple clubs. So, what was his name? Tom Patton. Was that his name? Who created Alf? With Tom Hatchett, Tom Patchett. Oh, Tom Patchett. Yeah. Oh, yes. He he had a TV show called Washington. Yeah. And uh, he was a writer. Oh, he was a wonderful writer. Well, he created Alf. And he created Alf. And he also did Buffalo Bill, the Dabney Coleman show. Exactly. Wait. Exactly. Tom did, Patchett. Did you know Dallas? Yeah, I knew a person named Dallas at. Uh, Dallas. I I forgot his last name. Yeah, me too. Well, all right, but yeah, I knew Dallas. Okay. We got in a lot of trouble together, in a good way. I forget his last name. Anyway, John, it's crazy that you were at Theater East. I was there for four years. As the bartender downstairs. I was the bartender downstairs. Well, I used to go downstairs and sit at the uh, counter and drink coffee all the time. Right. I drank coffee all the time. Do you remember when the bartenders down at the bar played the music too loud and you used to come up thumping through the... Yes, the, then, exactly. Then, yeah, well, yes. Yeah. The theater up... Oh, excuse me. Yeah. John Lamont? That wasn't his name, was it? John. Johnny Lamata. Johnny Lamata. That's a guy. That's yeah, a big he's that's Johnny Lamata. Huh? Yeah. He's passed. I know that. Yeah. But that's the guy I was talking about, Johnny Lamata. You thought it was you, but oh, he was. Oh, uh, Johnny Lamata. Oh, God. Yeah. I was good. You know, he's passed away. Yeah. Yeah, I was good friends with him. He used to go to the Goomba lunch all the time. Yeah. But I was doing dinner theater. Right. In uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm -hmm. um, Memphis, Tennessee and Little Rock, Arkansas, a tour, and he was in the show just before me, and that's where we met. And oh. we had some wild times every time our show would get to their theater right. and they were leaving, and he and I had two days together. Oh, my gosh. Did you He's... work with Lou LaRusso? No. No, I didn't. All right, we're going to keep going forever, which okay. isn't a bad thing, but Johnny Lamont, that's yes. the guy I was trying to think of. So. Johnny Lamont, why do I know that name? Hey, he'd been around. He did a lot of acting. He yeah. did a lot of acting. Yeah, yeah. he was kind of a stocky. Goomba. Did you know Joe Pesci? No, I never met him. Huh. All right. Lobato was a good singer. He was an opera singer. Oh, okay. Was he? Yeah, he could sing opera. Who knew? Italian opera singers. Yes, Who knew? Right. <laughs> so, all right. 